it's very much about discipline and strategy. So you enjoy it in a completely different kind of way. And I think when it comes to the track, it's really about learning to control your mind and control your thoughts and the kind of, you know, you have to kind of acknowledge, okay, there may be dark periods during that. And you just have to learn tricks to control how you react when that happens. Hello and welcome to another episode of No Finish Line Podcast featuring athlete interviews and discussion on running, training, travelling and adventure. And I'm your host, John O'Regan. This podcast is sponsored by Great Outdoors, Ireland's premier outdoor retailer. And today we are recording in the new Great Outdoors store in South Georgia Street, Dublin. In this episode, I'm joined by Aoife Mondo. Aoife is a mountain runner and now ultra trail runner. Eva was the female winner of the Kerryway Ultra for 2019 and most recently she set a new Irish record for 24 hours. Eva runs for Drogheda and District Athletics Club. Eva, welcome to the podcast. Thanks John, delighted to be here with you today. Now you've had a great start to the year by setting a new Irish record for 24 hours with a distance of 231.376 kilometres that you recently ran in Athens on January the 11th and 12th. That record was previously held by Ruth Ann Sheehan with a distance of 229.346 kilometres, set back in 2012. I want to briefly mention that as your most recent race, and then we'll take a step back to where and how it all began. So tell me a little bit about that race. How did that happen for you? I suppose in 2018 I went to Belfast to do a 24-hour run there and I suppose to say it didn't go well is probably an understatement but reflecting back on that I kind of I just felt like I learned a huge amount during that race and I felt sure that I could definitely do better than I did on that day in Belfast and I just I suppose I was just itching to do another one and have a go and I you know when I was in Belfast I did 188k that day and I just thought I wonder what I could do on a day that wasn't my worst running day if that makes sense. Now 188 kilometers is still a very big distance especially for a forced attempt at a 24 hour What were you expecting when you went into the race? Hmm, Tough question. Um, Maybe perhaps why I did that distance on the day is because when I went to Belfast, I had already signed up for the Connemara 100, which was in August, and that's a 100-mile road race. So you were probably using Belfast as a training run for that? Well, it was that... I had never done 100 miles before and I really wanted to make sure if I was going to drag a crew around Connemara for 100 miles, I needed to know that I could run 100 miles before I asked other people. But then again, a lot of people actually entering a 100 mile race have never run 100 miles before. They train to run the distance and then try and do it. Well, you actually exceeded 100 miles in the 24 hour in Belfast. So I suppose that probably gave you a lot of confidence going into Connemara. Yeah, it did. Um, but I suppose they're they're very different animals. You know, when you're when I was in Belfast, it was a lot safer. You know, you're you're on a track. You're everything is right there beside you. Whereas 
you know, there was a certain element of pressure in Connemara because I was asking people to give up their weekend to trek around, you know, after me. It's a completely different ask. But the people who you've asked are probably running nerds and were probably delighted to go along and something like that. Um, well, my, my husband um, was one of the people that came along um, with me for that day. And then Sinead Kyo, um, who I've met through running, she came along as well. And I would like to think they enjoyed the day. I'd say they loved it, especially when you came out of that with quite a decent result as well. You were the first female finisher. Yeah, um, I'm sure they, they had a good laugh on the day because it literally rained nonstop and they were sitting in the car while I was out battling in the conditions. But um, yeah, I, I would hope they enjoyed it too. Now, coming back to the 24-hour then in Athens, what was your target going into that? Did you just want to hit a certain distance or beat what you'd done in Belfast? Going into Athens, I suppose, um, after Belfast, I was looking at what other people did and I was looking at the qualification criteria for the Irish 24-hour team and the minimum kind of distance you need to cover for that is 200k within the 24 hours. And I sort of thought to myself, okay, if I can do 188 on a really rubbish day, what could I do if I went into it with the right kind of strategy and the right training and, and, and a clear head. And I just felt, you know, I needed an extra 12K. So that was totally kind of doable. So with the kind of idea in mind that I would like to, to fulfill that criteria, I kind of said, okay, give myself a bit of a buffer, mm, 210. And then the kind of stretch goal for the day was 220. If everything went really well, that was what I wanted to achieve. I was following the race online yeah. and I thought that you were going too fast in the early stages and I was going to contact your crew to suggest that you slow down and I'm kind of glad that I didn't because I was wrong, I was very, very wrong. I did think you were targeting the 220 but with the pace you were running at had you closer to 240 and I, I thought that was madness because I wasn't aware of a lot of the other stuff that you had done and I suppose going into the race in Belfast you did that maybe two to three weeks after you also ran the Wicklow Way race, which was 127 kilometres. So you couldn't have been recovered. Why did you do the two races so close together? It's now the time when I tell you I did Rogaine in between the two of them. Oh. Um, <laughs> I might not mention that bit. Um, so I suppose last year was my first proper ultra running year. And I just wanted to do everything. Everything that came up I, I was just, I wanted to give it a go. So Belfast wasn't part of my original plan for the year, okay? So I did the Wexford 12-hour um, kind of festival of running in April. And I did that as a training run for the Wicklow Way. So I came first in Wexford overall. And I was talking to Nicola Duffy at the end of that. And she was going to Belfast and she was like, oh, you should definitely go and give it a try. And that just kind of planted the seed and it just, it all just kind of evolved. There wasn't a, a proper plan. Now going back to Athens again, yeah. how did it feel during the race? When you went into the race in Belfast, you didn't really know what to expect. There's a bit of boredom that comes with running lap after lap and you're running at a similar pace. So you start to feel pains and because of the repetitive movement. You knew that was going to happen to you in Athens. How did you prepare for that? 
in terms of how did I prepare mentally? Prepare mentally, yes. I just didn't allow myself to think about it. And that's the truth. I just went in and thought, okay, I need to do this minimum of 220. And that is all I'm going to think about. I wasn't thinking about anything else. There's actually hours and hours from the day that I've no recollection of. And when you knew that you were getting to 220, how did you keep going when you knew you could possibly stop then? Like 220 kilometres is the A standard. There's not a lot of Irish females have actually hit that. But to go as far beyond it as you did, knowing you didn't really have to keep going, that must have been a struggle. Mm, That's actually a really good question, Okay, So in Belfast, that was part of my problem, right? I went out to do the 100 miles, Okay, So after that, I just kind of fell apart because I didn't have another goal after that okay so my husband was with me in Belfast and he was also with me in Athens and after I got to the 220 he was like okay well after you do another 10k then you can think about stopping and I suppose he knows me well enough to know that I always need to have a goal I need to have you know something else like what's next and I think because I had that kind of little kind of push to keep going, it it really did work. And if it wasn't for him suggesting that, maybe I wouldn't have done that on the day. And has it sank in that you were now the Irish record holder? No. No, it hasn't, to be honest with yeah, you. I was really quite surprised hasn't. myself because it's hard to convince somebody to move from the trails onto a race, like a 24 to race, it's easier to go the other way. And I've mentioned this before when interviewing some other guys. It's much easier to go from a track where you're seeing the same thing over and over again and going into a, a mountain or trail environment where you're changing scenery wherever you go. But to move from the trail and to know that you're going to be running around this with a one kilometre loop. One kilometre, yeah. Like that must have been mind-numbing for you. No, it's a different type of challenge. And it's one that's kind of... It's very much about discipline and strategy. So you enjoy it in a completely different kind of way. And I think when it comes to the track, it's really about learning to control your mind and control your thoughts and the kind of, you know, you have to kind of acknowledge, okay, there may be dark periods during that. And you just have to learn tricks to control how you react when that happens. Now, during the race, how did you fuel yourself? I ate everything. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I literally ate everything that I was given. So um, my husband was kind of in, I say he's in charge of food. Like, basically, he would just give me stuff every kind of hour on the hour. And he was looking at the carb content in the food and stuff like that. So... That was something that probably differed in Athens to, to, to other races I did. Like previously, I was just so focused on getting the calories in. I didn't necessarily consider, you know, what, what they were made up of, you know. And was the heat an issue? Did you feel like you were dehydrating? No. Um, I always think with hydration, it's before the race. I mean, obviously, it's important during it. But it's it's those days and the lead up to it that really make the difference I find and I certainly learned the hard way uh, during a marathon quite a number of years ago where I drank so much water I could literally hear it sloshing about in my stomach so it's definitely something I learned the hard way. I hope people are actually paying attention to that point because yeah it is really important you can't just hydrate yourself on the day or in the moment 
It has to be done in the days and weeks beforehand. So you have to be standing on the start line 100% ready to go. Now let's take a step back. You started running IMRA races back in 2010. Was IMRA your first introduction to running? No, I did the Great Ireland run in 2010. That was my very first run and I had two Mars bar breaks during that one hour and six minutes of running. So um, I've come a long way since then. So one hour, six minutes for your first 10K. Okay, that's that's very interesting. So to go from that to running maybe a little bit faster than that pace as an average for 24 hours in Athens. So that's where you've come from. 2010, you were running less than 10 kilometers an hour and 2020, you're running that for 24 hours. So there you go. Now, you got into the Imra races then. How did that happen? Um, My husband does an awful lot of running and he was president of Imra for a number of years. So while I wasn't always running myself, I was surrounded by it and my house was full of Imra related stuff for years and years. So um, when I decided in 2018 to do an ultramarathon, it was it was basically a bucket list thing. It wasn't it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to start doing this as a hobby. It was like, oh, I'm just going to do one of these because, you know, I've heard so much about it and everyone else is. I just wanted to know myself that I could I could do it as well. And that's how I ended up signing up for the Kerryway Light. With the Kerryway Light, that's uh, 58 kilometres and you finished fifth female in that race. My thoughts are you went in that just to participate and then you probably came out of it knowing I kind of did better than I thought it was going to because maybe you were starting to enjoy what you were doing. Would that be right? Yeah, I was the person that turned up at a trail race in my Roadrunners at <laughs> that one. Um, and I I genuinely didn't really know what to expect with that race. And the night before, I remember I was down in Killarney and it was absolutely lashing rain. And I- You didn't know what to expect before that. So then you didn't set yourself a limit and that's the opposite of what you did in Belfast you set yourself a limit a target and once you achieved that you, you had passed your finish line even though in the race with no finish line so I suppose that's the difference between those two races and with the Kerryway Ultra you probably finished that knowing you could have kept going in the Kerryway Ultra the the one the in light, September oh the light oh yeah do you know that was such a I didn't even have a watch on me that day I didn't even know what time I was doing I literally was just out enjoying myself and I think because I had such a good day that day, like I felt like a child running along and hopping over puddles and running through streams. Like it just, I just enjoyed it so much, you know, and I think that's why it took off from there. And that was probably the turning point then. Yeah. yeah. I kind of interrupted you a bit too early the last that's time. Okay. Sorry. And then the following year, you signed up for, which seems to be a very, very popular race, the Slee Gale Talk to Muscari which is on in February. Mm -hmm. And you, again, probably had an enjoyable day out of that. Yeah. Do you know, okay. So after I did the Kerryway Light, I sort of started thinking to myself, gosh, I wonder could I do the Wicklow Way? I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. Um, And there's such a big jump between the the distances. And the terrain is quite different as well, actually. Um, So I wasn't totally sure that it was going to be doable so I did the slee as kind of a test and I said okay if I can do the slee I'm in for Wicklow and that's what that was like during the the slee I actually I ended up running along with um 
a guy from most of the race and we were just chatting and having a good time. So it was another really enjoyable day out, you know. To go from 58 kilometres to 71 kilometres and then decide you're going to do a race of, I think the Wicklow Way is 127, 130, you must have a lot of self-belief. And lack of self-belief is what holds back a lot of people. But you obviously seem to know that, uh, know that you have something. Yeah. Well, it's not so much that. I, I believe the only person that holds you back in life is yourself. OK. And even if you say when I was going into Wicklow and I was talking about it, I would say I am doing the Wicklow way. Right. And you will hear other people talking about races or talking about different things. And they'll say, I'm going to have a go or I'm going to try this. And that's like giving yourself an out before you even start. Like I went into that and I was I was doing it and I was looking even when I was looking at the times and stuff like that. And I looked at the the record for that and I just thought to myself, do you know what? I can probably do that. And I, I, I don't mean that to sound no, I know exactly what you mean, or anything yeah. like that. I just thought, yeah, that that's doable, you know. Why can't I? Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's great. That's the right attitude to have because I think everyone is competitive. It's just they lack self-belief. If you follow a football team, you're competitive. If you do the lottery, you're competitive. It's just people don't believe in themselves. And it's only by taking part in these type of events and even stepping back to something like Parkrun and seeing that you do improve with the training. And then the more structured your training is and the more consistent you are, the better you will get. And then you start to strip away those layers of doubt. And to me looking at the transformation that you've made back from 2010 that's what has happened you've acknowledged that you've been improving and the more you seem to improve the more you want to improve my thoughts now are that you're doing so much that I think you're going to have to be a bit more selective with what you do because you could end up holding yourself back from your your true potential because there's a lot there now we're getting a bit lost here so I'm going to go on to uh, let's go to the Wicklow race how did that go for you? That was the race of my life. It really was. I enjoyed myself so much. And even I remember on the car journey up, Paul was saying to me, he was like, you're a lot calmer than I thought you were going to be. And I had just, I had just prepped so much for that race. I had gone out and I'd hiked the route. I'd like mapped it all in my head. I could see myself running every single part of it. So you studied for the exam? I did, yeah. And uh, being calm is not to be confused with being complacent. I think if you've done the work, confidence allows you to remain calm. You know, you do respect what you're going into, but it's not being cocky if you've done the work. And I wanted it. I really wanted it. And you finished first in that race. And then two weeks later, or was it even two weeks? Two weeks later was Two Belfast. Later. Yeah. You were up in Belfast. So that kind of explains why you didn't get the... Well, probably you got the result you wanted because you went up to run 100 miles, but you probably didn't get to achieve your potential. No, but I learned a massive amount that day and I think that has stood to me. Like I've learned that you are only going to achieve what you kind of set out for yourself, you know, in terms of like once I got to that 100 miles, anything after that was just like... Oh. Okay. You, you know, I limited myself. And I could see that because I was in the tent beside you for that race and I could see how consistent you were. And then I don't remember when you actually uh, pulled up in the race, but obviously it was a decision you had made. Now I'm going to pause it there for a moment. 
want to talk a little bit of recovery because you have done a lot of ultras in such a short space of time. How do you recover between events? Oh, don't ask me that question. <laughs> I'm I'm a lot better at it now than I was at the start. So if you look at even like what I did after the Wicklow way, like that, you know, probably doesn't make sense. Whereas now after Athens, I've kind of, I've taken a bit of time off from, you know, I haven't been out running again. I've been taking it easy. I went away for the weekend and just kind of relaxed instead of trying to throw myself back into things again. And how is your sleep and nutrition on a day-to-day basis? Mm. Sleep is talked a lot about now. And I preach getting better sleep and that, but it's not something I'm good at myself. But I do realise the importance of it. But with the amount of training you're probably doing and you have a long commute, it's probably hard to fit everything in. It is, but you just have to make choices um, in terms of what you're going to do or how your day is going to be or how your weekend is going to be mapped out. And if it's a case that you have a tough or a long training session planned for a Sunday, then maybe on Saturday night when you're out, maybe you do head home at 10 o'clock or, you know, like sleep is a huge, you're right, like it, it does play a huge part. And I think coming up to races as well, it's one of those things that you really definitely do need to think about. Both for you know for the obvious kind of energy reasons but also I think you can use these things as an excuse in advance you know so say you might say oh well I didn't stand a chance on the day because I didn't get enough sleep in the lead up like you need to kind of back yourself and make sure you look after all those things in the run-up to an event. Do you do any cross training or go to the gym? Not so much. I do the odd kind of spin class and stuff like that. But I do a lot of kind of hiking. So I'd go out like with the dog or, you know, just kind of walking and stuff more so than any other kind of structured. As you mentioned hiking, were you hiking before you started running? Yes. Yeah. That's that. Before I did the Kerryway Light in 18, um, that year I had done Rogaine, which is like, it's it's an orienteering thing, but it is all, you know, it's all time on feet. And um, I had kind of, you know, I'd put in a bit of work in advance of that, you know, just getting used to being on my feet for hours. And I just, I really like that. And I like the, I like the peace that you get in the hills. And what brought you into the hills in the first place? I'd say I was probably led astray by people. <laughs> Wait, were you in the scouts or anything like that? No, 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 no. As in like, you know, my husband and, and the social circle just... So it's all very, very new to you really? Yeah. And then you're making up for lost time? Yes. You're cramming yeah, it all in. I just can't get enough of it. I'm going to step back a bit forward again. I'm trying to find out, is there some kind of a clue as to how you became what you are now? So what sports were you involved in when you were a little girl? I used to swim um, and not sports related as such but I, I would have done ballet for years and years as well so okay you're the first ballet dancer <laughs> or ex-ballet dancer I've had so maybe that helps with running downhill when you're hopping from side to side across the rocks like and not leaving any footprints no maybe it didn't really help me that much but I think what those things do give you is kind of discipline and a training mentality yeah 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 with ballet it's very competitive and isn't it you no, have to do the work <laughs> That. It is though. But no, it is. Um, but all these things are, like, it, it does kind of create a, a pattern in your Yeah, they all, it, it yeah. all kind of comes together and you're channeling it into what you're doing now. 
know, there are clues when you look back far enough. You know, can you give me a typical training week? Don't need to give away any secrets. You just give a rough idea of what you would do. Yeah. So I suppose this is probably an area that's changed massively for me over the last 12 months. Okay. So if I was to look at what I was doing this time last year in the build up to the SLEE, it was just about banking miles. I didn't think beyond that. It was just, you know, I need to do... 30k I need to do 40k on a Saturday like there was no there was no thought in it other than that and then you know during the week I'd be out at lunchtime doing my runching um doing like five miles or whatever it was it was literally it was just miles 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 that's all I thought about and then I kind of I knew I needed some kind of help or some kind of direction because I mean I was able to run longer, but I wasn't necessarily able to run faster. Um, and then in April, I joined Drogheden District and I kind of I went in with their road running group with they were kind of training for Dublin Marathon. And they had this plan with all these different like paces, you know, 5K pace, 10K pace, marathon pace. And I kind of I, I was looking at all this stuff and I went home and I just thought, God, that man is mad, you know, giving us this plan. I said, like, you know, when I was making all these jokes, I was like, oh, he thinks we're all like training for the Olympics or something. And I really, I probably, like, I wouldn't say I made light of it, but I just thought it all seemed a bit serious, you know. But I, I definitely, as the weeks kind of went on, I could see the benefits of that plan. And I suppose kind of comments other runners were making as well in terms of you know when you're kind of having an easy day it should actually be easy miles so that then when you are doing a speed session you get the most out of it and I suppose that's probably the thing that has changed the most for me so I would do maybe like two kind of speed sessions a week and then I might have Mondays and Fridays kind of tend to be easy kind of miles you'll probably see me running along sandy mount at lunchtime and you never recognize me (laughs) well i tend to be in my own little world um and then friday or wednesday i kind of have a a midweek kind of a midi kind of run like not a long run but kind of like a medium kind of distance and then saturday's long run sunday hike or run depends on where i am in the build-up to a race now what you've kind of explained there is the difference between exercising and training you started to apply structure to it. But on the positive side there, because you were doing so much easy distance last year, you were probably maxing out your aerobic capacity. So you had a huge base with which to build on. So when you started doing the speed work, because you were more aerobically developed, you were able to absorb the training a lot more. And you weren't able to run as fast as your fitness might have allowed because you didn't have that strength. So you were never really giving it 100%. And that was probably allowing you to recover quicker and I think the results are showing now in what you've achieved over the last while because since coming back from Belfast every other race that you have taken part in every other ultra distant race you have finished in first place which is quite an achievement Connemara 100 following on from that the following month so it's only four weeks from a 100 mile race when you went and ran a race of 200 kilometers which is like 120 but across the mountains and I know from speaking to other people that the Kerryway Ultra is quite tough and there's a lot of DNFs in that. 
So can we maybe talk a little bit about that now? How did you prepare for that race? Um, I did a couple of reckeys for that race, okay? Just, I suppose, it is long. It is a marked trail. So you're going to think to yourself, oh, it's marked trail. You know, you'll find your way easy enough. But actually on the Kerry Way, there's a couple of places where there's kind of different routes that you can take. Some of the signs are kind of a bit hidden. And when when you're tired, if you've run 150 kilometers, it's really easy to miss those little yellow men, even though you think it wouldn't be. It is. Um, so I think that definitely made a huge difference for Kerry. So were you saying you got lost? Okay, so I did fine with the navigation until I got into the park. And so I'm probably maybe about 5k from home. And I ran by, I know, it's awful. I I ran by the uh, turn at Torque Waterfall. And that was purely, like on the way out, because you kind of come in and out the same way um, in the Kerry way. And on the way out, I was like, I was really you know, okay, I'm I'm mind mapping this, I'm remembering it. I, I I definitely know this now when I come back in. And we we had gone out at six o'clock in the morning. And when I was coming back in it was I don't know, it was in the morning time, but it was obviously a lot later. And there was cars in a car park and I was just distracted by the cars. I was like, oh I definitely didn't see them on the way out, you know, and I just literally ran by the sign. That's like hallucinating. That's just the, the mind is starting to play oh tricks. God. It, it definitely did because so I, I kept running and running and running and then I came down to this crossroads and I knew, like I knew at that point, I was like, oh my God, I have like I have literally run past the sign. So I was, I I really was having a major panic attack at that point. And I'm usually, I'm, I'm quite calm in races, but definitely at that stage it was the tiredness you know and uh, so anyway I had to like truck back up the hill because of course it would be a hill and uh, anyway I found my way back into the waterfall and then I'm in the park so I just I know I was so tired at that stage and then I did like this random loop in the park (laughs) and added on more distance um, so when I eventually got to the finish line, they were all joking. They were like, why did you keep doing laps in the park? It's not park. Oh, run. they could see that on they your tracker. They could see it on the tracker. Yeah. Um, the race is too short for her. That's what they were thinking. I don't know. Even like my mum said she was watching it on the tracker and she was like screaming at the computer screen. Going, what are you doing? Yeah. yeah. And as you said, you finished fourth in that race. Now, speaking of that particular race, was there any point in it that you felt like giving up? No. I did have a point in that race, actually. I had come into um, the checkpoint in Cahar Daniel feeling totally fine, no issues. And I stopped to just change over water at the checkpoint. And it was like the moment I stopped, I just felt really, really nauseous. And I just thought, oh no. And I'd actually, I'd given very strict instructions that I wanted a cheeseburger and chips at this uh, at this checkpoint, which sounds crazy, but I really did. And um, I got in and I just, I felt absolutely awful at that point. And I was saying to Paul, oh, I really don't feel good. And he's like, well, then you need to move. That's what that means. You need to keep going. And That's the difference with having an experienced crew. They're not being sympathetic to your condition. They know that you are capable of going on, that it's just a bit of a both mental fatigue from the sleep deprivation. Yeah, I think crew is really important, actually. The right crew. Exactly. You're better off with no crew 
than the wrong crew. Like you need somebody who knows who knows how much you want to do it, who knows what you're capable of and believes in you and knows as well there are going to be points where you're tired or there's going to be points where you look awful and anyone else would tell you to sit down, but they know. And that's what you need a crew for. It's not just to hand you out a Mars bar. No. It's, it's to get you out of those dips. Dr. Tim Noakes wrote about the central governor theory whereby the brain tries to protect itself. It wants to do less than you can do. No matter how bad you feel, that when you start to give into it and sit down and relax, all of a sudden you're back to normal and then you're wishing that you had continued on. And speaking to some guys who have DNF in certain races, I can see that it happens quite a lot. And the thing about that regret is if you stop during a race when you know there's still time to finish, it takes a long time to get over it mentally. It's different if you get timed out because then it's out of your control and you can live with that and you can come back from it quicker. But to just give up and make an excuse to give up, it's very hard to come back from that. And all you're doing is really giving yourself practice for stopping. And you can't, like I'm a big advocate at checkpoints. Everyone has their own strategy and whatever works for you works for you. But other than that day in Belfast, which was not a good day, like you will never see me sitting down at a checkpoint. I just don't. Well, at a 24 hour race like in Belfast, you pass your checkpoint very, very often or your aid station. Mm. So it's nearly too often in a way. So it's handy having it there because you have that safety net and you don't have to be carrying anything. And if you miss contact with your crew, you're going to be meeting them again in the next five, 10 minutes. So there are advantages, but a lot of disadvantages mm. as well. When you finish that race, what was your recovery like? Because you were straight away into another race. Um, I felt good after Kerry okay like physically I felt fine my feet were fine all that sort of stuff and I just decided I was like okay I'm just not going to run for the two weeks and then it'll be fine and I probably fooled myself a little bit I thought I felt better than I did um, because I, I know when I was in Aherlow that time it was hard you know there was a couple of people there actually that had done Kerry as well. Yeah, so when you mention Aherlow, that's the Glen of Aherlow ultra trail run, which was held like two weeks afterwards. You mentioned other guys from the Kerryway Ultra. It seems to be very, very popular that whoever does the Kerryway Ultra, they then go to that race, which I think is a bad move because they're too close together and there's an increased chance of picking up an injury. Some people might register for the race in advance to give themselves a backup plan, which can be a bad thing because if you're feeling bad during the race you might convince yourself to save yourself for the next race I'm guessing that that's not what you would have chose that race you probably booked it so you wouldn't miss out on getting a place in it well with that one I wanted uh, the Irish Ultra Champs and that's why I went and I did that race right okay so it's probably positioned at the wrong time of the year or too close to the Kerry World for people to avoid it then yeah because it's kind of an important race then. Okay, well, I'll allow you that, so. Okay. Now, when you come back from that race, how was your recovery from the Glen of Aherlow? Are you asking that because of the eco oh, Yeah, because the, the, fo- the following week. Yeah, yeah. That, I know this, <laughs> you know, I'm beginning to think there's two Aoife Mundells and you're just coming across the one person for tax reasons. I don't know. Um, I literally, I, I just slept for that week in between like in the evenings I'd come home from work and I was just going to bed early and it was like Kerry and Aherlow everything was just it was all catching up on me on that particular week Um, but actually you know you can look at that and you can say okay it mightn't have been 
the best thing to do them all together, right? And and I and I get why you would think that. But even in terms of that eco trail, like I learned a huge amount about myself during that race. You right? must have a PhD in ultra running now. You're learning so much from no. these races. But is so the eco trail was really hard for me because I suppose I had done quite a number of races during the year. I didn't want I, I, I wanted the last race that I did for the year to be a win and it just really pushed me on. So this is the one that you really put the pressure on yourself even though it was after you kind of built up all that I suppose possible fatigue from race after race with insufficient recovery or downtime. That's a good plan. <laughs> Seemed like a good plan. But I suppose I know that when it comes down to it you see in that race like I'm kind of scrappy I don't I don't like to give up and I kind of that's probably what got me through that particular day the fact that I just I just wouldn't give up there was myself and there was this other girl I think she was Slovakian I can't can't remember where she was from and we just kept kind of going back and forth at the front and I just I knew I was tired but I, I just couldn't let it go John well, and you got the result as well. So, yeah, con- congratulations with that again and again. What do you do the night before a race? Like, what would your favourite meal be? And do you have any problems sleeping? So, I'm, I usually go to bed really early, actually, the night before races. Um, probably ridiculously early. Um, it may take me a while to get to sleep properly. So, I might, you know, I might get 15 minutes, wake up, 20 minutes, wake up. And then eventually I'll just drop off and go and that's fine but because I know it's going to be like that that's why I always you know I always make a point of going to bed really early beforehand in terms of food the night before I usually just go with pasta but it's it's more that I just want to have something that's easy to eat um and in the so the mornings before races I always just have like porridge and toast and if the race starts at two o'clock, I still just have porridge and toast before the race. Like, I, I, I'm afraid to change things sometimes. And there's no reason to change it. Yeah. yeah. That's the traditional style. And yeah, that's working. That, that's perfect. That's what you stick with. Now, on the start line, would you normally start on the start line or would you be sitting back a bit? Sitting back. Always sitting back. And that's probably because you just don't feel like you should be at the start line yet. Is that right? I don't know what it is. Um, or maybe you don't want to get caught up in that rush because there is generally a big rush at the start and then... Oh yeah, let them go. Let them go. Um, no, I, d- I definitely don't want to get caught up in that and I think you have to be disciplined and not do that because quite often people start out really fast and it is hard because you're looking at people flying by you and you're kind of going, oh... I think I might be faster, you know, so you do have to be really controlled about and it. And discipline, yeah, start. because it's really easy to get caught up in that wave and just get dragged along by it. Yeah. But as you've learned from experience that whoever's the front runners, a lot of them tend to fall back. That happens. How would you pack for a race like the Wicklow Way or Kerry Way? What would you carry in your bag? Everything they tell me I have to have. Okay. And, <laughs> and is that basically it? And that's it. And food. And is there anything on top of the compulsory kit that you would bring? Poles, maybe. Yeah. Walking. Okay. Pe- no, that's 
depending on the length of the race. Yeah. So say like maybe for Eco Trail, that's 80k, I wouldn't do it for that. But for the Wicklow Way and certainly for Kerry, I'd recommend anyone doing Kerry, you should bring poles. Okay. And what about snacks? In terms of what do I, what do yeah, I bring? What, what would you me? nibble on along the way or would you bother? I would have like naked bars, Nature Valley bars, Snickers, loads and loads and loads and loads of jelly babies, all kind of stuff like that. Um, I like as well, like when I come into checkpoints and stuff, I quite often have smoothies or um, these yogurt pouches um, just because there's stuff that's really easy to take on board. Um, so you can drink the calories rather than having something that's kind of chewy and and if you're dehydrated and eating solid food and get stuck in your throat, which is an issue, yeah, yeah. that's a good idea. Um, I don't actually tend to have, now I'm going to say this and it's probably going to happen to me the next time, like food doesn't really tend to be a problem for me. That's good. Um, it's just making sure I start eating early enough. That's the main thing. Do you thing. have any problems with your feet? No. Um, actually, this is, because I'm always joking about this, people ask me constantly, about socks <laughs> and like how do I manage with socks yeah I'm the same I, I don't have any foot issues no matter what I wear yeah it's just mad but the one thing I would say about feet and, and taking care of your feet um, that I do that I do think makes a difference is I absolutely cover my feet in Vaseline okay yeah so. Yeah, I've heard of a few people doing that now I haven't actually tried it myself I don't think I need to do it so um, I'll wait until I do do you have a mantra that you might use to keep you going no you probably haven't reached that point yet where you have to no, push I yourself that bit more. No, maybe I need to. Well, maybe you don't. I think it's usually when somebody is is at their limits. You you haven't got the race that has brought you to your limit yet. Hmm, maybe that not. That could be it. How do you mentally prepare for a race? Apart from going out doing recce's, do you study the map or do you visualise where you're going? So, if if I can do a recce, I can, right? But that's... That's not always possible. You know, I, ha- I have a full time job and, you know, it's it's just not always possible, especially depending on where the race is. But quite often I will imagine what it's going to be like doing the race, picturing myself doing it, you know, stuff like that. Um, and I do think that kind of helps because you've you've already put yourself in the situation. So it's not new to you on the day, if that makes sense. It does. Do you use a heart rate monitor? No. Okay, so you just run by feel? Yeah, so I only when I started um, training with the club did I kind of get any kind of introduction to all these paces. Like before that, I used to just go out and run and it was kind of run as you feel. There was no hard in Well, it. then there's no need to go changing anything then. Yeah, just leave well enough alone. Would you ever train on the treadmill? No. Definitely not. No. Okay, well, that's... Okay. And I've, I have tried running on a treadmill, right, in gyms or whatever throughout the years. And I just absolutely hate it because I feel like you're just watching every single second tick by. And I, I mean, I can go to a track and run around it for 24 hours, but I can't run on a treadmill. I don't know what it is. Do you prefer to train on the trails or the road? The trails, 100%. And are you living close to the trails? I live about an hour away from the Moran Mountains, so that would be my kind of preferred training ground at the weekend. Or I'd go up there midweek during the summer, you know, when when the light kind of allows, and maybe on a Wednesday night or a Thursday night. Seeing as you've mentioned the Morns, 
I don't notice the more scoiling on your list. Is that because it's too short or you just weren't around that day? It was sold out before I even ah. heard of the race. <laughs> I knew there was something. Yeah. Otherwise, I probably would have given it a shot. I didn't have anything else in October. Yeah, I couldn't have noticed that. And I just made the assumption that there weren't any other races. What did you do? You must have been going mad. Um, well, I went over to Chamonix, actually, in October, um, just on a holiday. Um, so I did some hiking and stuff over there. Um, so I sort of got my mountain fix. And then you were ready to go then at the start of January for the 24-hour race. Yeah, well, I started, so I kind of took October off, really, in terms of, you know, training and stuff, because I knew, I knew that I was tired after everything that I, that I did in September. And I definitely did feel like I needed a break at that stage. And I didn't want it to get to the stage where I had to take a break. You know, I felt like I was kind of, you know, making the decision to take a couple of weeks off and stuff. And because when I was originally looking at another 24 hour, I had been considering Barcelona, which was December, which probably lifestyle wise would have made more sense. Um, But practically, it didn't really make the best sense. Um, So I took October off and then I was ready to go in November to kind of to focus on Athens. And that might have been the right decision then? I think it was. Um, Now, it did mean that my December was probably different to what other Decembers might look like um, in terms of, you know, I would have had a lot of training. Um, I wouldn't have been out and about as much in the lead up to Christmas because I suppose in my head that I wanted to do well in Athens more than I wanted a night out or I want, you know, I just felt it seemed like an easy kind of decision at the time. You had a reason for doing what you were doing. Yeah. And we get the result that made it worthwhile. So yeah. it was the right decision. Now we're almost at the end of January. I'm assuming you have a couple of races lined up. Can you tell us what's next on your calendar? Yeah, I was selected for the Anglo-Celtic Plate team, which is um, for a 100k race in Boddington in May. So that's my big focus between now and then. And then I suppose... For later on in the year, I would be eyeing up Euro 24 in September. But I suppose that's that's all to kind of play out yet. Um, so we'll see how that goes. And then I would like to go back to the Wicklow Way again in July. Would you say your strength is in the distance or is it the climbing? Um, I sort of think it's a mixture of both, right? I kind of think sometimes the more you challenge me, the better I do if that makes and I think probably people in general are like that um you know the the climbs don't they don't bother me well not everybody rises to the challenge when you see the hill you're probably looking that as another part of the challenge it's probably making the event more enjoyable where somebody else will kind of look at that and nearly step back and dread it and just be wishing it to be over and walking over it Maybe, but you're not going to get better at running up hills by walking up. No, you won't. As you said, you know, a sailor that just keeps the boat into the harbour never gets good at sailing. True. Or is it smooth seas that will make a skilled (laughs) sailor? So you have to wickle away then in June, is it? It's July um, this year. Last year it was June. So um, last year they went from Marley Park to Clonagall, and then this year they'll be going from Clonagall 
back to Marley. So it'll be in the opposite direction. So a little bit of change. Yeah, and the view is different when you're going the opposite way, yeah. as you found out during the Kerry way. Do you have any likes or dislikes about training? Like, do you find it hard to get out for your lunchtime run? No, no. Um, I think I need it sometimes, to be honest with you. Even like I would joke with them in the office sometimes that uh, I'm feeling a bit homicidal. I need to go out for a run. I do think it makes you more productive, right? And this is kind of, this is something that probably if you asked me 10 years ago, I would have given you a completely different answer. I would have looked at people kind of going off at lunchtime doing things and I'd be like, look at them going off and I'm like here working away, you know. But now I've kind of learned actually sometimes when you go away, have a little bit of a break, you come back and you're a different person. Your head is clear and you're better able to kind of, you're better able to take on challenges. That's you're energised and it's positive energy because... You do feel better when you come back. Like I go for lunch some lunch as well. And to me, it's like starting the day all over again. But the second half of the day is shorter than the first half. Oh, 100%. You know, if you're commuting into work, it's a bad start to your day. Yeah. When you're sitting down on a bus or a train or driving a car. And you come into work zapped of that energy. But if you go for a run at lunch time and you come back, you have to showering and you're straight back into the office. Yeah, it's, to me, it's a big, big difference. I'd be all in favour for that as well. Although sometimes I do find it hard going down to get making the effort to get changed to go out yeah but you just have to focus on how you will feel at the end of it like nobody ever comes back from a run and says oh i wish i didn't go do they yeah no, exactly. they don't, no, no so that doesn't happen yet and i think if you have clearly defined goals like races planned out it does make it easier then to go out and run some runs because it's not a lunchtime run then it's a training session exactly and it has purpose how far would you cover during your lunch break Mm, it depends on the day it's usually five miles that's what I would do and it's just kind of I literally go from the office I work on George's Quay and I go out along um, Sandy Mount and and back so you're miles rather than kilometres yeah everybody kind of laughs at this especially um, when when I was doing Athens and I was like okay I'm here to do 200k and then I'd be saying right I've done 20 miles and I just yeah. kind of go between the two but I usually do miles and it's because it doesn't sound as bad yeah it sounds shorter doesn't yeah, it yeah it definitely yeah. does yeah like. I do something similar during lunch break and my run generally takes the same amount of time but mm-hmm. the distance will vary depending on how I feel yeah and sometimes I don't pre-plan what I'm going to do until I hit the first few steps and see how I feel and when I'm on the return leg of my run, I then add on a loop around Grand Canal Dock. If I feel I have a bit more in me or if I'm tired, I'll just continue on back to work. So it's handy being able to reclaim that error and make it a bit more productive. Have you any training advice or advice to anybody who's thinking of getting involved in this or any other sport? I think consistency with your training is key. If your plan on a Saturday morning is to do 20 miles and you wake up and it's raining, well, you still need to go and do the 20 miles because, you know, on race day, you can't control what way the weather is. Like, just, if you have a plan, just stick to it and go for it. And if you're a trail runner or training for a big trail race like the Caribbean Ultra, you should be thankful of a rainy morning because that's training it to be race specific yeah you're not going to get a dry day down in Kerry no no you absolutely 100% will not get a dry day something I'd add to that as well is that you need to be patient with the training be consistent but also be patient because it doesn't just happen overnight like as we said there you've done an awful lot in the last year so it's all happened for you in 2019 but you started back in 2010 
So that has taken you nine years to become that overnight success. Yeah. But I suppose I take a very different approach now to what I did in 2010. That's what I would say. You know, 2010 and, and the kind of years in between, like what I was doing I was going out and I was running with friends and my husband and it was all very sociable. I never focused on time or, you know, I just, it was just an excuse to spend time with with people that I wanted to spend time with. And that's what made you enjoy the sport. Yeah. Because it was being good to you and then you started to kind of pull away with still keeping them all there. A lot of them are probably your support crew now (laughs) or supporters. (laughs) Yeah, cheerleaders and supporters, yeah. Are you starting to feel any bit of pressure now going into a race because of your recent results? No, I don't feel pressure. But I think sometimes people forget that you still have to train. You know, they... they, Use it or lose it. Yeah, or, you know, it's, it's as if they think, oh, you'll just turn up and you'll do it. And... It's like, well, actually, no, I've put an awful lot of work into this. Like, I didn't just turn up, you know. And that's the same with everybody. And people don't realise that a lot of athletes hide what they're doing and they just showcase it on the day. But they are sweating themselves on running tracks, treadmills, up the mountains. They're doing all that away from witness. And they are then rewarded for the result on the day. So, yeah, it is. It's a lot of hard work. And generally, the people who do best are the ones who work the hardest. Yeah. Talent will only get you so far. Yeah. You have to put the work in. Yeah, I think it's that's the same with anything in life, be it studying or work or you know, you do learn that if 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 you work hard, you should get a result. Would your intention be to try and qualify for the trail running team? Um, I well, you can't do everything. I know, I know. That's the problem, isn't it? But if you have I, I all want, the... I want to do it all. And you can't do it all. Well, you can do it all. You just can't do it all well. That's, that's yes. the problem, isn't it? Yes, that's it, yeah. yeah. Mm. You'll never be the best that you can be if you focus on too many things at the same time. So you chase two rabbits, you mightn't catch any. Eva, thanks very much for that. It's been a, a fascinating chat and glad you agreed to come along and take part in the podcast and wish you good luck in your next races and no doubt we'll cross paths in the near future. Great, thanks Mel John. If you enjoyed this or any of the other podcasts you might consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. 